you guys. Thank you, baby. <laughs> Kathy wants to preach this morning. <laughs> Not. Turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3, if you would. Colossians chapter 3. I appreciate John taking over my Wednesday night study. Uh, Kathy and I were up in Castle Rock at the regional Calvary Chapel Pastors Conference up there, and it was delightful just to see old faces and new faces. Got to uh, hang out with a guy who started his church the uh, same time we did all the way back in 1989, Jeff Johnson up in Grand Junction is his name, one of the sweetest, gentlest men you'll ever meet in your life, a very capable teacher, a, a steadfast friend, and he's been up there 33 years. Uh, so it's those kind of men that I personally hold in highest esteem, long-term men that run their race with patience and, and diligence. Now, Paul wrote Colossians as one of his prison epistles. There are four prison epistles, so-called that, because he was under house arrest, detained in Rome, awaiting trial by his Jewish accusers from Jerusalem. But while he waited up there for two whole years, he was under house arrest and not in a dungeon because he was a Roman citizen. And so that gave him uh, plenty of, of rights, and one of them was a right to a trial before Nero. But for two years, Nero awaited his accusers to show up. They never did. So finally, he was released. But during that two-year period of time, God gave him all the opportunity he needed to reconnect with old friends. Uh, be careful how you pray. Paul had probably been praying, Lord, I'm just so busy. I'm so distracted. i got so much going on. I would just love to write some of the churches that we'd established on our, our first and second missionary journey. Lord, I, I, just, oh, I just don't have the time. I mean, this was long before cell phones and telegraphs and telephones or anything like that at all. And so God put him in jail. Certainly not what he expected. As you pray, don't tell God how to do his job. Tell him what your needs are, but if he puts you in jail because you need some extra time, then just say, praise the Lord. And that's exactly what Paul did. And he took this opportunity, finally, to sit down and write these precious churches. In this case, a church that he had never met in his life. He had preached at Ephesus for three months, and people there had been saved, and people from the surrounding villages, like Colossae, had been saved. Colossae at this time was kind of a backwater town. It took sec it placed second fiddle to both Hierapolis and Laodicea. Those were the big towns. Those were the towns where everybody wanted to live. But this was just a little podunk town whose glory and heyday had long passed. God hadn't forgotten them, though. That's the thing to remember. You might feel that you're small and live in a small town and your life is of little significance, in the kingdom of God, nothing could be further from the truth. I find this little bitty town here had a church and a congregation a quarter of the size of those that are present here this morning. Can I tell you the myth of the megachurch is a 21st century concoction adored by man but means nothing to God. What matters is that the saints are being fed, that the saints are being built up. Why do you think that Jesus said, where two, just two folks, where two or more are gathered in my name, Jesus said, they're going to be in the midst of you. Why do you say that? Because the average church in America is only made up of 91 men, 
women, children, cats, dogs, cockroaches, janitors, etc. 91 folks. 91. That's the average church. Which means half of them above that, half of them are below that. The average church is something very special in God's eyes. The believers at Colossae were very special in God's eyes. A heresy had crept into the church, diminishing the deity of Jesus Christ. And so Paul starts off in these letters telling us all about Jesus Christ. And he is the agent by which God created the entire material universe. I love that we're reminded in Scripture, John tells us again in the New Testament, in the beginning, God. He was before time began. He was before all else was, before the material universe was created. There was God. Someone was talking to me the other day and said, well, how do you know there aren't other universes? Because the Bible says Christ died once for all sin, and he did it on planet Earth. He didn't do it on Venus, Pluto, Mars, or any other uh, bodily entity overhead at all. Christ died once for all sin. I believe the whole of human drama was played out on planet Earth. Whatever your station in life, listen to me carefully. God loves you. Doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, tall or short, old or young. Those things are irrelevant, but you need to know in this sinful fallen world that is opposed to God and all of His plans and purposes, opposed to the Word of God and doing everything it can to indulge the sins of the flesh and promote them on TV on a nightly basis, you and I must stand firm on the fact of who I am in Christ Jesus. So the first half of Paul's book, just like he did in Ephesians and Galatians, these small powerful epistles of his, he always starts off reminding us of what God has done for us. We were simply bystanders, recipients of his grace. He sent his son in the fullness of time. We weren't seeking God. God came looking after us. In the fullness of time, Galatians 4.4 says, God sent his own son his one and only son. And he allowed his son to be brutalized, murdered viciously by a horrible and ungodly empire so that your sins and mine might be forgiven. Understand always, first and foremost, what God has done for you because your response to that is everything. But you must stand firm in who you are. I'm loved by God. My life has meaning and purpose because I'm loved by God. He has a plan for my life because I'm loved by God. My eternal future is secure because I am loved by God. And it's not based on your performance. I could be wrong. How many of you have been perfect this last week? I don't see a single hand up in this room, and if I would, I'd ask your wife to confirm that. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's what grace is all about. I didn't deserve it. I don't, I don't deserve it. There's nothing within me that earned God's love, His blessing, His approval. He sent His Son and offered me salvation. I said, Jesus, be my Lord, my God, my Savior. I give you this dumpster fire of my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Forgive me my sins. There's nothing that will motivate you towards the cross more or faster than a guilty conscience. We all come from an in, impure and unclean past. 
In your testimony, don't glorify your sinful fallen nature. Glorify God who delivered you from it. That's what your testimony is all about. When you share your testimony, can I tell you, it's not a sinathon. Well, I bet I sinned more than you. Oh, you think you'll let me tell you how much I sinned. Forget that. That's stupid, nonsensical. Paul never did that. Peter never did that. None of the disciples did. They glorified God. I was once lost, and now I'm found. Boy, that's simple, isn't it? Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Why do I read? Because I'm reaffirmed in God's love every time I open the book. You want to know how much you're loved? Open the book more. John was sharing with us at the men's prayer breakfast yesterday. And that was a good study. Thank you, John. But he said, you can read your Bible once a week and it will materially have no effect on your life. You can read your Bible twice a week, still has no effect. Three times a week has no effect. It's not until you start reading your Bible four times a week or more that the Bible has an actual effect on your life. So I encourage you to read it a lot more than four times a week. Don't just read it when Pastor Jim stands up here and tells you, open up to Colossians 3. If that's the first time you picked up your Bible all week long, Satan was beating you and gaining the victory over you all week long. You gave him that ground by failure to open up the book. The Word of God is sharper. It's active. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. It's able to pierce the deepest parts of your life. Jesus said, thy word is truth, Father. Sanctify them by thy truth. You want to be free from the sins of the world, the addictions of the world? Then bury yourself in the word of God. Not so that you can become smarter, so you can become more Christ-like. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. That's Jesus being described in John chapter 1. He identifies himself with his word. You want to get to know Jesus better? Get to know his word better. We'll say, I'm not a good reader. Good. They got dumb versions of the Bible. Did you know that? They got children's versions of the Bible. They got third grade reading levels. They got audio tapes. Now, I know you don't know what a tape is. It's probably on CD now or MP3, but you get my drift. There is no excuse, all of us, why, there's no reason why any of us all week long can't be in the Word of God. I know there's a lot of distractions out there. But I'll tell you this. On a Memorial Day weekend when we're supposed to be remembering servicemen and women that have given their lives to preserve our freedoms, when this becomes more about Indy cars running around a track for 500 miles, when it becomes more about that than the people who died to keep us free, something's wrong in America. Something is wrong in America. The greatest memorial we could offer at all is the one, the one, who gave his life so that all of us might live forever. If, if this day is all about a brickyard and cars running around, I feel sorry for you. You have a pathetic walk with the Lord. This is the day we rest in the Lord. This is the day we seek His face. This is the day we gather together and praise His name. This is the day we study His Word. So in the opening two chapters, it's all about Paul saying, this is what God's done for you. Chapter 3 begins now a practical application of your faith. This is what God's done for you. How should you respond And can I tell you, chapters 3 and 4 
outline how you personally should respond. And because we live in Laodicean church times, I guarantee you, no one in this room is doing Colossians 3 and 4 every single day of the week. No one. There's something wrong in the church in America today. We tolerate sin. We say abortion is okay as long as, you know, you think it's necessary because of the convenience of your life. We live in a day and age where our people are getting all of their entertainment and information from the world and so little of it from the Word of God. And we think that's okay. We act like the world. We think that's okay. We talk like the world. We think that's okay. We ignore God like the world does. We think that's okay. We're all about our hobbies. It's all about me. It's all about what I want to do. My boat, my airplane, my jet ski, my whatever. Can I tell you, they're all going to burn. But you forget that with regularity because while the Spirit is willing, your flesh is weak. The answer to conquering the flesh is to devote yourself to the things of the Spirit, not TV, not the Indy 500, not your jet ski or your houseboat or whatever your personal pet distraction in life is. I can tell you this, it's worldly. Some of us don't live for Christ because we haven't died for Christ. We haven't died to the things of this world. So before we get very far into these opening verses, I just want to ask you, what in you needs to die? What hobby? What distraction? What sin? What addiction in you needs to die? Because you know that's what's hindering you from the Word of God. Dwight L. Moody put it great in, in 1865. He said, this book will keep you from sin. And sin will keep you from this book. But we think that's okay today because the world has told us it's okay to be a backslidden, lukewarm Christian. That's great. Little religion, yeah, it's a good thing. They tip the hat to God, but don't acknowledge His Lordship. I am disturbed greatly where the rulers and leaders of our land declare themselves to be a part of a Catholic church and think that abortion is perfectly acceptable. I think we ought to start off by denying those guys communion in the Catholic church. The Catholic church winks at that. Says, well, that's okay. They're big. They're important. They're special. Mm. The last day's church is not a healthy one. Are you healthy? Oh, no, it's all about my, my, my racing career. It's all about me. It's my hobbies, my house, my car, my whatever, my motorcycles, guitars. There's a thousand things to fill in that blank with. Time wasters. Do you believe the time's short? Just say it like you mean it. Time is short whether you feel like you mean it or not. So why are you piddling your time away on fleshly stuff that's going to burn? I'll tell you why, because you're fleshly. You're carnal. You're more of this world than of heaven's world. And that is not acceptable to God. That is not right. That's not normal for the Christian. And yet we've accepted it. We've accepted it. 
Today, there rages two wars. One pulls you one way and one pulls the other. The world will tell you that the answer is in legalism, and we can call that strict religion. And the other answer, like the Gnostics were saying to the Church of Colossae, well, it doesn't matter what, nothing really touches your spirits or what you do in your flesh. Do anything you want to in the flesh. You can sleep around, you can do drugs, you can get drunk, because it doesn't matter what you do in your flesh. That mindset has invaded the church. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but some of you think thinking getting drunk on Saturday and going to church on Sunday is just fine. Some of you think that living in sin without being married is acceptable in God's eyes. It is not. It is called spiritual immorality. It is called sexual immorality. It is called spiritual adultery because we've done things that we know are wrong in God's eyes. But the society around us is doing it. Why do you think they legalized marijuana? It wasn't to help the odd person that suffers with PTSD or has medical needs helped by marijuana. It was to open a gateway to introduce you to harder drugs. Why do you think 104,000 people a year are dying of fentanyl overdoses? Because of gateway drugs. They didn't start with fentanyl. They didn't just wake up one day and say, hey, I think I'll do some heroin this morning. You don't ever start with that. It's a gateway drug. You start with marijuana. You work your way up the food chain. I was exposed to that as a kid. I had a racing career going on, and every time I, I won a race, my sponsors uh, wanted to go out, and at first they wanted to get drunk, and that's fine. I had an alcoholic father. I didn't drink at all. I didn't care about that. And then after the, when the alcohol wasn't enough, they said, well, let's, let's start smoking weed. Well, that makes you a better motorcycle racer. Makes you not care about losing. So I didn't want to do that either. And then one night, one of the guys, one of the owners... Uh, brought some cocaine. He said, here, Jim, you got to try some cocaine. This will certainly make you a better racer. This will give you the heart rate of a hummingbird and to think you can conquer everybody out there. Oh, really? Now it's cocaine. What's next? Heroin? Fentanyl? I'm telling your life story, some of you. We gave a foothold to the enemy through compromise. It's not always drugs. Sometimes it's alcohol. Sometimes it's sleeping around, sexual immorality and infidelity. But we bite off these things because that's ah, okay in the world. The world does it. We're not of this world. In the world, but not of the world. And so Paul is going to advocate here, starting in chapter 3, you and I need to change our mindset which implies there's wrong thinking going on in the church. There's things that you think are okay, and they're not. There's worldly distractions that you think are not harmful to your spiritual walk, but in fact, they keep you from reading the Word and sharing your faith. I'll tell you this, if you're engrossed in your hobby to the point that you are an irregular Bible reader, you're not sharing your faith with nobody. You don't care. You care more about your distractions, more about your hobbies, more about the things of this world that you know are worldly, but you persist in them. I'm not preaching to the person sitting next to you. I'm preaching to you. Are you in sin? Repent of it. Are you sleeping with somebody? Are you engaged in a sexual relationship with somebody and you're not married? Repent of that sin. It's not to be tolerated within the body of Christ. Start doing this thing right and do it by the power of God's Holy Spirit. 
Turn off the TV for crying out loud. Turn off the cell phone. Spend a little time with God. There are tears falling from heaven because the church has accepted a nominal lukewarm walk. Stop thinking like that. You've got to start thinking like God thinks about these things. You've got to be in the Word of God. Can I tell you the most frustrating thing in my life? Can I just be honest with you for half a second? Do I have your permission? I want you to change with all of my heart, and I can't make any of you change. If not in your body posture, some of you in your mindset are going, you can't make me stop being an alcoholic, can't make me stop doing drugs, can't make me stop sleeping around. Oh, yeah, that hands off my hobby, Pastor Jim. I'm going to sick the Holy Spirit all over you. I pray he break you like a twig on a tree and convict you of nominal Christian living. Sin is wrong. Sin is wrong. You say, well, I don't really sin. I just kind of flirt with sin. Giving half a foothold to the enemy is okay, but giving him a full foothold is not. That's wrong thinking at its core. Proverbs 23 says, as a man thinks, so he is. Change your thinking. Paul's going to tell us the battles for the mind. That's where it starts. Think differently. Some of you need to repent this morning. Don't wait for an altar call. Repent right where you're at, man. Say, I'm a sick and sorry Christian, Lord. I'm a sick and sorry compromiser. I have sinned. I have flirted. I have played the devil's advocate. I've indulged the flesh and forsaken the things of the Spirit. Oh, God of heaven and earth, have mercy on me, a sinner. You be that man, that woman that beats their press, their breast and says, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. My greatest frustration is I can't make you do it. Only you can do it. And I can tell some of you by your body language and you're glaring at me, you're not going to do it. May God have mercy on your soul. I'm going to sick the Holy Spirit on you. Pray that you're not able to get a single second sleep until you get on your knees and get right with God. That's what the church needs. Doesn't, doesn't Peter say, don't you know that judgment must begin in the house of the Lord? It begins with you and I. Don't tolerate the garbage, the sin, the flirtation. Men, don't let any woman flirt with you. Women, don't let any man flirt with you. If they're looking at someplace that's inappropriate, you just call their attention. Eyes forward, slackered. You tell a Christian that a few times in church, I guarantee you they're not going to do that again. Wives, feel free to slap your husbands when they're doing something stupid like looking lustfully at another woman. Okay, I'd like to tell you that I'm getting off of my soapbox now, but I just got started. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1. This is our part. Since then... You have been raised with Christ. He's talking to Christians as I'm talking with you this morning. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. Hearts, circle that word, 
Hearts is where your passions lie. That's where your hobbies are attached to you. That's where the things of the world are important to you. Jesus said, where your treasures lie, there also your heart lies. Your prayer this morning needs to be, Father, purify me. Purify my heart, Lord. My heart have been attached to the wrong things. The things of this world are attached to entertainment or technology or money or possessions or a thousand other distractions. Have you noticed Satan has no shortage of toys to dangle in front of you like a carrot in front of a donkey? Can't let the things of this world define your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. That doesn't include sports. That doesn't include your pet hobbies. It doesn't include the things of this world. It doesn't include technology. It doesn't include entertainment. And people are spending billions of dollars every single year. No. Christians are spending billions of dollars every year on these very things that Paul says, don't put your hearts on into. Don't do that. And we're doing it and saying, no, he didn't mean me. He didn't mean my hobby. He didn't mean my technology. He didn't mean that $1,200 cell phone that I have to trade in once a year to get the latest one. What are we going to stop with, the iPhone 185? Where does that stop? Windows 48? When does it stop? And why do they have to cut off all of the old stuff that worked really good? Can I tell you, I liked Windows XP. It worked. It worked great. No glitches whatsoever. And with every upgrade since then, they've messed up. But told you it was for your own good. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Your heart is where your passions lie. Your mind is where you choose to direct your passions. You make up your mind to seek Christ, you'll find him. Your heart will follow. But you make up your mind to set your affections on things of this earth. Oh, my bicycle, my racing, my guitars, my, my this, my car. I want a, this or a that or a bigger house or a... You set your minds on those things, that's where your heart is going to be attached. Your heart will follow wherever you put your mind to. The battle's for the mind. Did you know that? Some of you are losing that battle terribly. It's taking a toll on you spiritually. It's taking a toll on your family because they see your misplaced priorities. Your wife, your husband, they know how often you're reading your Bible and praying. They can see it. They hear the kind of music that you play in your house or your car on the drive to work. They, they know that. And we've come to accept this compromise is totally acceptable. In verse 1, it starts off with the word since, but it could be translated just as well, if. If you have been raised with Christ, then it becomes a bit of a conditional statement. 
Some of you may be Christians but not know Christ. You're going to church, but can I tell you, going to church does not make you a Christian any more than sitting in my garage makes you a motorcycle. Church can't get you to heaven. Church didn't die for your sins. Only Jesus did. So by virtue of the fact you're sitting in church, well, that, that doesn't mean a lot unless you're a child of God. If you have been raised with Christ, hmm, you have been raised. It's worded in such a way in the original language that this is something that Jesus did for you because he loves you. He's the one that raised you from the dead. You didn't raise yourself. He sought you out, probably at a time where you were not particularly seeking him out. He came after you because he loves you so much. And he offered to forgive all of your sins. God has raised us from the dead to new life in Christ Jesus. God has done this for us. And positionally, it's a done deal. So set your hearts there. Jesus said, where your treasure lies there, your heart will lie also. You set your hearts on the things of God, and the result will be love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And I can tell you there's women here saying, I'd give anything if I had that kind of husband. He's a Christian, but he's a slacker. He's obsessed with all the things of this world. Pastor Jim, pray for me. Absolutely, I will. Some of you guys are married to gals that are chasing after the things of this world. My first question is, have you been raised with Christ? Have you made him Lord and Savior? And how come that's not being reflected in your priorities and lifestyle? That's a sincere question. God has raised us from the dead to a new life in Christ Jesus, but some of us want to bring the old life with us. Well, can I have Jesus and my drugs? Can I have Jesus and my secular hobbies? Can I have Jesus and lust after other women or other men? No. Jesus said you can't serve two masters. You can't serve two masters. If we've been raised with Christ, then set your hearts there. Set your hearts on the things of God. Because what we all need is more love and joy and peace and patience, isn't it? Wouldn't that be great if the entire church was filled with that fruit? Then I wouldn't get any more glaring looks on, on Sunday morning saying, you're stepping on my toes. That's my job! That's what God called me to. You're in the wrong place if you wanted some seeker-sensitive, sloppy, agape kind of message that says, you're fine, you're sin, you're good, you're fine, we're all going to heaven. <laughs> did I scare you when I did that? I, I'm sorry, I <laughs> didn't mean <laughs> I'm sorry, Kathy asked me this morning, how's your message? I, don't, I said, I don't know, but God's slaying giants in my life. <laughs> I love it. Set your hearts. You know, nearly every verse in this chapter is highlighted in my Bible. That's how God's talking to me. This message doesn't start with you. It started with Pastor Jim years ago. We're a work in progress, but be open to growing in that process. Don't ever become stagnant or think that the status quo is acceptable, or I got my fire insurance, so I'm just going to live it up in the world and be preoccupied with the things of this world. God wants all of your heart, and some of you are stingy. 
Oh, I'll give God enough of my heart to get saved. Oh, I got baptized. The Pharisees got baptized. We forget what this is all about. This is a call to complete surrender. I have been raised with Christ. That's my identity. That's who I am. I'm living in this world, but not for a lot longer. Christ is coming back soon. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. It's our responsibility to seek Him, to obey these Scriptures, not give lip service to them. Not just, you know, there's a Scripture in, in Isaiah where Isaiah seems to have been complaining to the Lord, nobody's listening. Jeremiah had the same problem. He was preaching to people that didn't want to hear what he had to say. And God told Isaiah, he said, you know, the people, they love your passion, they love your teaching, but to them you're like a singer of lovely songs. As soon as you stop preaching, they forget everything you said. And they go right back to being the way they were. There's no change at all. It was devastating to Isaiah that by the power of God's Holy Spirit, he would preach his brains out. But there were, were a certain percentage of people that said, I, I, I really don't want to hear it. Then you don't want to hear from God. Stop professing to be a Christian if that's where your heart is really at. You're a pretender and you drag the name of Jesus through the mud by your lifestyle if you call him Lord, but don't act like he's Lord. He wants to be Lord of all. All. If you believe time is short, then there, you don't have enough time for your hobbies. You don't have enough time uh, for all the TV that you watch or entertainment that you pursue. Our hearts are set above. Can I tell you what the literal Greek says? Since then, verse 1, it says in the literal Greek, and they always put things up front that are really important. Word order serves no other purpose in the Greek language than to point out emphasis. What's the writer trying to firmly impress upon you and myself? The literal Greek says, quote, Since then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things above. Seek. It's a verb, present active imperative, which means do it now and keep on doing it. Keep on seeking Him. Active voice says you and you alone are responsible to do it. Nobody else can do it for you, and if you're not doing it, you're slacking. Don't say you're doing it. Present tense, do it, keep on doing. Active voice, I have to do this. And it's worded in the Greek as an imperative, not a suggestion. And he's writing Christians. Put an exclamation point after that word, seek. Do it earnestly with all of your heart and mind and soul and strength. Whoa, doesn't that bring up another verse? When Jesus was asked, what's the most important commandment? That question was asked by people that wanted Jesus to ignore all the commandments that they weren't keeping. Which are the really important ones? I mean, can I keep like most of them and sleep around a little bit? Can I keep most of them and still do drugs? Can I, can I just, you know, keep all of the stuff of this world like the rich young ruler thinking that I'm good? Oh, all of those commandments I've kept. 
That's what Jesus pointed out as he did the rich young ruler. There's one major problem in your life. The thing you love most, you need to give up right here, right now. For him, it was this money. For you, what, what is it? Your possessions, your technology, your bicycle, your speedboat? What, what is that one thing that anybody who's close to you will tell you that's way too important to you? Seeking the Lord and keep on seeking Him. Seek the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. The responsibility to seek is on us. Jesus said in Matthew 7 and verse 7, I love that passage. Ask, and it will be given you. Seek. You seek, and you'll find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. Worded in such a way that you have to keep on asking. You have to keep on seeking. And by, thereby doing, you'll keep on finding. Keep on knocking. And uh, God will keep on opening doors for you. God wants to bless your socks off. Stop fighting Him. You just have to do this thing God's way and stop rationalizing why you don't. Or thinking that lukewarm is okay in a day and age where many church leaders are they themselves lukewarm. So they have lukewarm congregations. They have no fire. They have no passion. They have no commitment. They have no zeal. And because they think they're okay, they tell their congregation they're okay too. And those are some of the largest churches in America today. John the Baptists are few and far between these days. And so we've gotten used to listening to the voice of Satan in this sinful fallen world, and he has convinced us that it's okay when the John the Baptists tell us that they are not. Things are not okay. I must divorce myself from the things of this world. Jeremiah 29, 13, put it this way, you will seek me and you'll find me, but only when you seek me with all of your heart, the stuff that you attach your heart to, the things of this world are keeping you from giving God all of your heart. God is pleading through His servant Jeremiah, please stop the nonsense that you're engaged in and seek me. Act like I'm priority. I am the God who created you. I made the material universe you live in. You breathe my air, you drink my water, and you trample underfoot the blood of my son, Jesus Christ, by your lukewarmness. Seek me. You'll find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. He's just looking for those that will seek him with all of their heart. That's you and me. This is God's beg to us. Please come closer. You're so far away because of, of the trappings of this world, the things that hold you back. You know, there's so much you can hold us back. You know, a lot of people don't wrestle with the, the things of this world so much as they might wrestle with their own bodies, their own health. I mean, if you're after 50, you know what I, I'm talking about. Sometimes your greatest struggle is against the weakness of the flesh. The blindness that encroaches, the knees that go south, and the pains and aches that come along that seem to rob you of the joy of your salvation. These things, too, are temporary. Someday we get to jettison these earth suits 
and trade them in for 2022 models or better. Huh? You looking forward to that? Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Jesus said, ask. Keep on asking. Present tense. And it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. But it's up to us, you and me, to do the asking and the seeking and the knocking. And most Christians today aren't doing it. You say, the world is a hot mess. So is the church. So is the church. I'd rather be dead than lukewarm. Jesus said, I wish that you were hot or that you were cold. The literal Greek says, but because you're lukewarm, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Now, if that leaves you secure in your salvation, that's between you and God. I don't want to be vomited out of anybody's mouth. If you're red hot, you know you need to get out of the heat or you're going to die. If you're ice cold and standing out in the middle of a January snowstorm and the wind's going sideways with the snow at 70 miles an hour, you know if I don't get inside quick, I'll freeze to death. But when you're lukewarm in the middle, you think, yeah, I'm I'm okay. I'm okay. I don't need to change. I don't need to get hot. I don't need to get cold. I'm okay. We bought the lie of the enemy. Satan has deceived you. If you're not a spirit-filled, on-fire, zealous Christian for the Lord, why not? Why not? What's holding you back? What's more important? You got something something that pays bigger dividends? I'd like to hear about it. He says in verse 2, set your minds. Literally. And again, by way of emphasis, he puts up front the things above. That starts the sentence in the Greek. Things above. Everything else falls after that. Things above set your minds on, not things on earth. The emphasis is on heaven, not earth. The backslidden church says the emphasis is on earth, not heaven. That's why the average pew sitter has never shared their faith with anybody. And they think that's okay. That they're good with God. They're where they need to be spiritually. As it's been said in the past, Christians have been accused at times past of being so heavenly minded they are of no earthly good. Do you know that was first quoted by the Supreme Court Justice of the United States, Oliver Wendell Holmes, who was the Supreme Court Justice from 1902 to 1932? He is the first one that said, There are Christians in his day and age anyway that were so heavenly minded they were of no earthly good. Later on, uh, the great, late, great Saint Johnny Cash wrote that in a song (laughs) to try to wake up the church. But it seems today to be the other way around, that Christians today are so earthly minded they're of no heavenly good. And that's what we need to avoid. That's what, pray that God would light a fire under you that he'd stir up into full flame the embers of the Holy Spirit within, like Paul encouraged Timothy to do. Notice that he encouraged Timothy to do the stirring up. He said, God's not going to do that for you. This is on you. Timothy, stir up in you the embers of the Holy Spirit. Ember is a fire that died. 
got to blow on it. You got to resurrect that fire. You got to put a little kindling back on it again. And he was telling Timothy, you want to avoid that state. You need to keep that fire glowing hot in your own heart. Set your mind on verse 2 says. In other words, keep on thinking about that. It does matter what we think. And we are responsible for our thought life. You thought that nobody knew about your thought life, didn't you? Well, I hide this from my husband. I hide this from my wife. My mom and dad don't know about this, but I think on it all the time. Can I tell you, it's, it's an open scandal in heaven. Every thought that's ever ripped across your little teeny weeny brain, God has read like a book. He already knows it. So who are you really hiding it from? And what are you really setting your thoughts upon? Paul does not mean that we should never think of things on earth, but these things shouldn't be our aim. They shouldn't be our goal. They shouldn't be our, our focus, our master. The Christian has to keep his feet upon earth, but his head and his heart in heaven. He must be heavenly minded here on earth and so help make earth more like heaven. That's why we're here. We're salt and light. That means you've got to spread it around to do some good. Let it out of the container. Salt doesn't do any good sitting in the salt shaker. Your job is to get out there in society, the workplace, Walmart, wherever you hang out, and be salt and light to everybody that is there, showing them, demonstrating the reality of your conversion experience by showing them the fruit of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience. Some Christians today look like they've been weaned on lemons. Again, nobody, can I tell you, nobody's attracted to that kind of Christianity. Yeah, but I got my PhD. Nobody's going to fall in love with your mind, I'm telling you that. Poppycocks brag on themselves. Peacocks show it off. Too many peacocks in, in the body of Christ today. There, there's a constant battle for the thoughts and hearts and minds of God's people this needs our constant attention. Don't let Satan rob you of your joy by being so fixated on earthly things, his love, his joy, his peace and patience. Well, I'll tell you what, that's what we need present and visible in society today. Because nobody's attracted to lukewarm Christianity. Nobody out there in the world is ever going to be attracted to a lukewarm faith or to compromised Christians. Or Christians that say, yeah, I smoke dope and I get drunk and I sleep around, but I'm okay. Really? How important is your thought life? Proverbs 23, 7, as a man thinks, so he is. Hmm. Philippians 3, 18 puts it this way. Paul writing these precious believers in Philippi, a Greek town and a very large and popular one at that. He said, for as I as often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears in my eyes, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. You know why Christians hate the cross of Christ? Because it's a call to come and die. And a lot of Christians don't want to die to the things of this world. They don't want to die to drugs or alcohol or possessions or their bicycles or their speedboats or their guitars or their whatever. They don't want to die to that. And Paul says we live as enemies of the cross of Christ by that kind of living. It undermines historic Christianity. Nobody's attracted to us and we lose our witness in this world. Now, let me ask you this. Do you talk more about your hobbies with the people that you know, or do you talk more about Jesus Christ and spiritual things? 
If it's not Jesus, you're a carnal Christian, you need to repent. Confess that as sin and ask that God would once again put a fire in your soul that would result in purity, right thinking, and right hearts attached to the right things. Does that make sense? Only you can do the seeking. I can't do it for you. Paul continues in Philippians 3, for their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. What does he mean by that? They like to eat too many hot dogs? No. He's not talking about my hot dogs at all. What he's talking about is that some people live for the things of this world that feed the flesh. They live for the entertainments of this world, the hobbies of this world, the sports of this world, the whatever else of this world. That's what they're feeding. They're feeding in their flesh, not feeding their spirit. And so they dry up as Christians. But they still tell people they're Christians. So the world looks upon the church and mocks. They don't see any holiness. They don't see any purity. They don't see us being any different than the world, except we tone it down a little bit. The world goes to the beach and wears their thongs and we wear something just slightly less revealing and think that's okay. We're not known for our modesty. We're known for how close to the cultural norm we can sneak and still pass off as Christians. Dress modestly. In Jesus' name, dress modestly or you cause others to stumble and sin. Dress modestly. This isn't rocket science. Why do Christians dress immodestly? They're trying to feed their flesh. Their God is their stomach. I want the attention of other people, other men, other women. I want them looking at me. Why do you think men work out at the gym for cardiovascular? Please. Those cardiovascular things at the gyms, they get less time on them than a 50-year-old car with 10 miles on it. They go there to pump iron so uh, my arms look good. I wear the short sleeve shirts. I roll them up because I want people to look at me. Why do pastors do it? The same reason. The flesh likes being a peacock. Don't be a peacock. Just write it on the margin of your Bible. Yes? Am I talking to you? I'm talking to you. Don't be a peacock. You're not on display for the world to see. Your feathers may be pretty, but Peter says women should not be known for their outward adornment, but for their godly, gentle, and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's eyes. That's what women should be known for, not showing flesh. Guys, don't get into that trap. Ladies, don't get into that trap. This is practical application, rules for holy living, if you want to look at it that way. Verse 3, and here's why you should do this. For you died you took a trip to Calvary's cross. You were nailed up there just as surely as Jesus was, and your sins hung above his head. He paid your price, but asks you and I to pick up our cross daily, according to Luke's account, daily denying ourselves, denying the flesh, dying daily. Some of you just need to die your hobby, it needs to die. Your flesh and, the, and your feeding of the flesh, those hobbies and habits need to die. 
I didn't get to finish Philippians. There's God is their stomach, their destiny is destruction, and their glory is in their shame because their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. That's why there's such a spiritual battle going on in your head, heart, and mind. Satan wants you to be nominal. He wants you to be lukewarm. He doesn't want you telling people about Jesus Christ. He wants you in love with the things of this world, infatuated with social media, in fact, willing to commit suicide if somebody stinking dislikes you. What? What sort of insanity is that? And yet we've been accepting that as gospel truth. Why? Because the people at Twitter and Instagram and Facebook told us it was. And every one of them is pagan to the core, God-haters. And somehow or another, we've convinced ourselves we can't live without that technology. I dare you to live so much for Christ that you couldn't care less about what, who's saying what on those social media platforms. If it doesn't glorify God, let it go. Let it go. So in verse 1, we have our hearts involved. And in verse 2, we have our minds involved. So where's your heart? On what do you set your mind? Because your heart is where your passions lie. Your mind is where your faith lies. Guard the mind very, very carefully. Why? Because verse 3 says, we died. Literally, you have died. And it is emphatic, starts off the very front of that sentence. Aristens, at the very point in time that you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, you died. And Satan has been trying to resurrect your flesh ever since. He doesn't want you walking in the Spirit. Fred, no, reading your Bible for crying out loud, going to church, getting real. Oh, hush on my mouth, sharing your faith? Oh, that causes Satan and his demonic hordes to do conniptions. They don't know how to handle that. But at the point I came to Jesus Christ, I chose to forsake my sins and ask Him to be my Lord and Savior, and I've been dying every day since. The moment you became a Christian, you died. Your life is wrapped up in Christ he is in you, on you, around you. He's covering you head to toe, front to back, side to side. Romans 6 says, in the same way, Paul writing to the church at Rome, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Don't offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to Him as instruments of righteousness. Be careful with your mind. Don't indulge in fantasy TV and alternate realities that you wish were yours instead of what God has given you in this life. Why do you think romance novels sell as well as they do? And Christians buy them up by the droves. We turn to self-help books on how to heal our marriage, but we don't turn to God. There's something very wrong with that. Paul said, to, writing to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 15, I die every day. Paul says, every single day i got to walk through this 
nailing process of my flesh on the cross. Every day i got to wake up and say, Lord, kill me again. Kill this old nature, this flesh, this hobby, this whatever, this addiction. Kill that off in my life, Lord. Paul says, I die every day. I mean that, brothers, just as surely as I glory over you in Christ Jesus our Lord. Every day is a call to come and die. That's what it means to be a Christian, a life of self-sacrifice. Pick up your cross daily, Luke 9, 23 reminds us. Daily. You've got to do it. You've got to be in the Word of God. How often? Daily. You've got to put off the old nature. How often? Daily. Got to control my thought life. How often? Every day. Guard my heart. Every day. To the churches of Galatea, he wrote, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. I go to pastor's conferences, and, the, and sometimes they're in a moment of stupidity. Uh, they start bragging on how big their church is and how important they are in their massive TV ministry and nonsense like that. They look like peacocks strutting about with their feathers out. Some of you boast in yourself. Oh, I'm so smart in this area. I'm so good at that. I'm a better racer than anybody else. Oh, I'm smarter than anybody else in the room. This is my wheelhouse. This is where I'm an expert. Expert? That means you know everything, right? That's pride. What do you do with pride? Kill it. Take it to the cross on a one-way trip. Nail it up there and start acting more humble. I hate hearing pride out of the mouths of Christians. Hate it. It is so antithetical to everything that is Christ. It says in Philippians that Christ humbled himself, even to the point of being a servant, being a slave, and then hung on a cross, a criminal's death of the lowest kind. And yet I hear Christians bragging, oh, I'm this, I'm that, I I got this title, I'm so important, I make this amount of money. Stop it. That sounds terrible coming out of the mouth of a Christian. May I never boast Galatians 6.14, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Been to the cross lately? Should have happened before you came to church this morning. Been to the cross lately? Ask Jesus to crucify you afresh. Have you picked up your cross and died to the things of this world, as Paul said it was necessary for him to do every single day? Some of you need a trip to the cross. You waited too long if you came to church. Oh, you can do it now, but you should have done it as soon as the alarm clock went off this morning. How about we dedicate ourselves to spiritual food before we eat our physical food first thing in the morning? How about that? We let the Spirit of God feed us from His Word before we ever partake of any physical food. We partake of spiritual food first. There's a challenge for you. Well, I could never do that, Pastor Jim. Why? Because you like to feed your flesh first. That's what's killing you. Feed the Spirit inside of you. Fan into full flames the embers of the Holy Spirit. That's what God wants for you. Can I tell you, he's not a cosmic killjoy. He knows what's best for you, and he knows what will make you eternally the most happy. 
Don't fight him on this. Don't cling to the things of the flesh and the things of this world saying it's okay when you and I both know that it's not. Jesus has given us, according to verse 3 back in Colossians, a spiritual life. You died and your life, your zoe, your spiritual life is now hidden with Christ in God. That's as secure as it gets. But because of your identity, because of what God has done for you, because what Jesus did on your behalf, we owe him faithfulness and fidelity. And that will never be proven by flirting with the things of this world. Die, please. The flesh, it's got to die. The complaining, it's got to die. The lust after the things of the world, it's got to die. Your preoccupation with technology or money or possessions or your reputation, whatever that means, you need to die. Because what comes out of your mouth tells everybody within earshot exactly what's really important to you. And if you're talking more about you and your hobbies and your possessions and your whims, wants, and desires, that tells the whole world where you're at spiritually, and it's not good. Then do something different. If what you're doing is working for you, if it's making you a better Christian, giving you a better marriage, giving you more a life of service, then keep on doing what you're doing. But if what you're doing isn't particularly working well in your marriage or your home or your workplace, do something different because Einstein said insanity's definition is keep on doing the same thing, expecting a different result. Change. A change begins at the foot of the cross. And your life, the life, the definite article is there in the Greek, the spiritual life that has been planted inside of me. The life is hidden with Christ in God. It's concealed inside of me. It's laid up for me in heaven. Worded in such a way, it's a completed action that has abiding results right up to the present time and will into all eternity. That's who I am in Christ Jesus. Verse 4, when Christ, who is your life, Zoe, spiritual life, not biological life, not earthly possessions, wants, lusts, desires, or hobbies, when Christ, who is your life, Zoe, spiritual life, when he appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Ah. It begs the question, am I in Christ? If you are, then you are in God for all eternity. What hope, what joy that gives. What, what a promise. Oh, happy day, the day that Jesus washed my sins away. <laughs> Verse 4 is so cool. When Christ may be revealed, I found it interesting. It was in the subjunctive voice because he's coming back for some, but not all. It's coming back for the faithful remnant when he does. It stands first in the sentence for emphasis. At some point in time, the Father will send the Son at the time our Heavenly Father chooses, but it may happen any time at all. It could happen right now. Have you repented yet? It could happen in the next 10 seconds, giving you 10 seconds to repent. 10 seconds to turn your life around. 10 seconds to turn your head and your heart around. Give them back to the Lord again. 10 seconds is plenty enough time for a short trip to the cross so that you can die once again to the things of this world. 
It is not difficult dying to the things of this world if I've been crucified with Christ. I'm already dead. Can't kill a man twice. I'm dead to the things of this world. That's my position in Christ Jesus. My heart is in heaven. My head is in heaven. And everything in between. I want to live for the things of the kingdom. Nothing of this world. What is your life today? What's the controlling desire of your life? What are the preeminent issues of your life today? What are your thoughts on? I think it's time that we adjust the values within our minds to eternal values rather than worldly values that have been created by the sinful, fallen society all around us. Well, chapter 3, and then we're going to stop here because... <laughs> and we got through all of four verses. <laughs> I love it. Feel free to read ahead. It's not cheating. Uh, the following verses simply outline our responsibility in light of our position. 